Hello, and welcome to another installment of Conversations at Jack Rabbit Slims. And this episode, I am very pleased to bring on Henry Crissini, who is a musician and podcaster. Henry, welcome. Hey, Craig, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And you are, we are connecting um, from the United States over to Germany, huh? That's right. All the way. It's a nine hours difference. Yeah, I love making these global connections. I talked to somebody in Barcelona yesterday, so uh, it's always very cool connecting with people around the world. So you see the same time zone that I have. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Henry, you have a podcast called Henry Talks About, and it's pretty remarkable because, uh, unless I'm mistaken, um, it is a solo podcast, so it's just you talking about a certain subject, and you put out episodes every Thursday. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast? Yeah, sure. This was an idea that I had, like some people have blogs where they write about different topics every week. And I wanted to develop a podcast for a while because I have experience working on the radio. And I I missed this form of communication with an audience that I cannot see. As a musician, I see the audience in front of me, but um, I also wanted to have this way of communicating and I wasn't sure what kind of topic I could talk about um, to, a, to a certain extent as to have an overall topic for a podcast. You know what I mean? Because like this podcast is about Pulp Fiction and, right. and you have Ryan and Ruben who make this Rocky podcast, which is, which is amazing. And, uh, but I, I didn't have such a topic because uh, I'm interested in many, many things at the same time. So I came up with the idea after some brainstorming of just talking about a different topic every week according to whatever inspiration I have or things I like to think about or things that people um, would like me to listen talking about. But I have also had a couple interviews with uh, fellow musicians, vocal coaches, fellow podcasters. So it has been going quite well constantly, 88 episodes so far by the, by the time we're recording this. So uh, it's sometimes uh, kind of um, difficult because I, I, I have made a real commitment to produce something every week. And you know how it is? The, sometimes you have the inspiration, sometimes, sometimes you don't. Yeah. But I have managed to do it every week since um, August 2018. Yeah, that's uh, that's very uh, very commendable. I mean, I think a lot of us know how hard it is to put a podcast together, and then when you're solely relying on yourself and you don't have a partner or, or a guest host, um, it, it definitely makes it uh, that more challenging. Your episodes come in at around thirty minutes a piece, huh? Yeah, that's right. I, I I don't put a limit, and I don't try to make them too long because we are living in a time where I think people want immediacy. We have so much information coming to us. So when you see a podcast episode that goes for too long, you usually say, I will start listening now and we'll finish later. So if you have something that is short, you tend more to it. It's, it, it has uh, advantages and disadvantages, this kind of approach, because sometimes you cannot really go into a lot of detail when you are talking about a specific topic, but I try to keep it uh, light, lighthearted as well, light, light themed and lighthearted. Absolutely, absolutely. And people can check that out on every major podcasting platform. Uh, but you drive everything from SoundCloud, right? Yeah, that's right. I use the SoundCloud platform. That's where I uh, host the podcast, soundcloud.com slash 
Henry talks about. But uh, there is the RSS feed going from there to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, which, which used to be called iTunes, and uh, Stitcher. And uh, it has been on some other applications I don't use much, like Podcast Addict and, and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's actually quite easy to find. Excellent. Yeah, and I'll include a link to the show in, in the show notes here. Thanks. You're very welcome. Um, so, Henry, you're also a musician. Can you talk a little bit about your, your musical history and, and your history as a musician? Yeah, sure. Well, I've been doing it for a long time now. I'm, I'm 44 years old, and I've been playing music uh, more or less professionally since my early 20s. I was a guitar player with several bands. In, in I come originally from Venezuela, and over there I, I was playing guitar with different bands, Uh, rock and metal and progressive rock and then I, I, I started singing as well and then I moved to Germany in 2008 and here I started exploring acoustic music so I had an acoustic duo where we covered Beatles and Pink Floyd and some other stuff and then but we also uh, wrote original music and since 2016 I have been singing with a band here in a local band here in the town where I live in Germany. The band is called Emotional Winter, and we make a sort of uh, alternative, dark, progressive rock. <laughs> it's kind of hard to define. So it's it's two singers, a uh, male and female singer. Uh, it's understood I'm the male singer. <laughs> and the founder of the band, his name is René Schlender. He's, uh, he has the whole project... Um, In his head, and he plays all other instruments. Amazing, but he actually he actually does it. So when we play live, we have to resort to a computer to substitute the things that we cannot do live. But uh, it has been going very well. And I also sing with a choir uh, because I don't have enough things to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I still do solo gigs now and then where I play acoustic music just by myself with acoustic guitar and some loop pedals and so on. Excellent. So you had mentioned what we're here for, which is Pulp Fiction. So I was curious, what is your history with Pulp Fiction? What was the, do you recall the first time you saw the movie? Oh yeah, I still, I can still recall that. It was in the year when it came out, 1994. And um, I had heard about this groundbreaking film that was coming to the theaters that was uh, very violent, but it, kind of make uh, it, it kind of made violence violence uh, funny <laughs> that, that was <laughs> that was the way it was being uh, commented on on the media in Venezuela back then and I, I remember I went to see it with uh, my my best friend from back then my best friend from school and um, we were completely in awe when we saw it we went to this theater that wasn't very specializing Hollywood films It was more like the, the kind of uh, movie theater where you would see author films and art films, you know. But they showed Pulp Fiction because it was really groundbreaking at the time. Even though it was already commented on the Venezuelan media that it would get Oscar nominations, which, uh, which actually happened. And, uh, well, we, we went there. We knew we were going to see a violent film. And uh, we were in awe, really. It was For me, from the from the very beginning, with this scene in the in the coffee house mm -hmm. <laughs> with um, with Honey Bunny and um, how was his name? Well, they uh, 
Jules Pumpkin. called him Ringo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the two of them talking about about robbing a bank with a cell phone, and then the the, the sequence stops and the credits come with this uh, surf music. It was amazing. Like it really got you sucked in, and then it went on from there. And uh, it it was the first Tarantino film I ever saw. I, I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs back back then. And Reservoir Dogs was the kind of film that was shown in this theater where we w- were. Right. Only for very selected audiences. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a massive film. It, it's kind of a cold film. So I, I didn't know Tarantino. I had heard that he wrote Natural Born Killers, which, ha- which I had seen, which I liked. Yeah. Um, but um, the first time I see this kind of um, storytelling that is not lineal, that it, it, the sequences go back and forth. Right. It's not that easy to follow for everybody, especially when you don't know his style. And even my friend, I remember, at some point being so confused and asking me, wasn't John Travolta dead already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, that was my first memory, especially there is a sequence I will never forget when Vincent accidentally shots Marvin in the head. <laughs> yes. You mentioned how, you know, it was sort of marketed as this, you know, violent comedic movie. And that scene is a perfect example of that. And also, you know, I mean, it, it's weird. I don't know if I'm, you know, just a little bit sort of numb to violence in movies because I tend to watch a lot of horror movies as well. But the thing that kind of strikes me about Pulp Fiction and the violence in Pulp Fiction is it all happens really fast and a lot of times it's brutal but you're not really seeing the entire effects of it and the Marvin scene is completely like that because you know Vincent turns around and next thing we know he shot poor Marvin in the face. They're all covered in blood. (laughs) Yeah yeah so I mean how, how do you kind of feel about the way Tarantino handles violence in in his movies and in this scene in particular? Well, this scene in particular, we laughed our asses off. I admit it. We were like, because it came out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> and suddenly they're all covered in blood and you see Jules and he has pieces of skull in his hair. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what did you do? I guess you drove over a bump. No, I didn't drive over any bump. <laughs> <laughs> it was so absurd uh-huh. and we had to laugh. And that's... That's what they were promising about this movie. It's going to be violent, it's going to be bloody, but you're going to laugh about it. I, like you, I was very much into horror films. I'm not that much anymore. I talked about it in my podcast as well. Um, for sort of, um, well, I, I don't think I'm going to go into the reasons right now. Sort of uh, vibrational reasons if you uh, attract much of this vibration to yourself and so on. But I, I totally respect the genre. And... Uh, I was confronted with violent movies even as a child because my father was kind of permissive when it came to movies. So I was kind of numb like you. But still, seeing it depicted that way in the big screen, I was actually surprised. I mean, not because the movie has uh, doesn't have the quality. The movie has a lot of quality. But still, I was kind of surprised that it got so many Oscar nominations. Because it's like, well, you tend to look at the Academy like the conservative movie um, critics. Right. And they actually gave this groundbreaking film such a chance. If I remember correctly, you can correct me on this. 
they actually got the got the best screenplay Oscar. Yes, um, yes. It, okay. it, it was. Yeah, it was the only Oscar that it won. It was also nominated for uh, Best Picture. John Travolta was nominated for Actor. Sam Jackson for Supporting Actor. Uma Thurman for Supporting Actress. Right, right. And, and there might be one or two that I'm missing. So, you know, while we're talking about the screenplay, um, you had referenced the nonlinear sort of way the story is told. And the one thing that always appealed to me about this movie was probably around the time this came out, I had started getting into... You know, um, crime writing, Elmore Leonard, um, you know, that type of writing. And the one thing about novels or, you know, long-form literature is a lot of times, you know, the story doesn't have to be linear there because the author can sort of take the the story in whatever direction they want and they can jump back and forth. And the readers are a lot more invested in movies. Sometimes if you, you know, look at your popcorn and look back up, you could have missed something. Right. Um, <laughs> But that was one of the things I really appreciated about what Tarantino, you know, brought to at least, I guess, mainstream filmmaking was the idea that you didn't have to tell your story um, from beginning to end. It's pretty funny. A couple of years later, you know, like Christopher Nolan would really take that idea to the extreme. Absolutely. And, you know, with Memento, where he made a movie in reverse. Yeah, I saw that one. It was highly confusing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in addition to the scene with Vincent and Jules and, and Marvin, are there other any other scenes in the movie that kind of really jump out at you as being, you know, memorable when you when you go back to watch the movie? Of course, the whole sequence with Seth and Maynard in, and, and the gimp. That's okay. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful because it's also something that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it's that I remember that's a scene where, you know, the the tension in that scene and, you know, that whole sequence, you're on the edge of your seat because, you know, you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on here. And then, you know, you have that remarkable moment where um, they've already pulled Marcellus to the back room and it's just Butch and the Gimp and, and the Gimp is sitting there sort of chuckling and laughing and pointing um, and my takeaway from that was like the gimp was was kind of excited that he was finally going to have a, a gimp buddy. Was that your takeaway? No, my takeaway <laughs> was that he, that he was just getting aroused from the action oh, yeah. that, that he was hearing. <laughs> and well, but that's a very interesting point because I had never heard such a theory. Cool. Yeah, it's it's the point that kind of to me it's like he points. I think he points at Bush and then he points at himself. It, it just seemed to me like maybe you know, the GIMP was maybe hopeful that he was going to have a, oh, a but buddy. Oh, that, that's very interesting. When um, I, I rewatched the movie before our interview, so I could have it <laughs> fresh in my mind again. And I noticed this uh, pointing thing with the GIMP and, and uh, Butch. And uh, I thought it was like your next or something like that. But in the sense that he, he was going to be the next one to be raped. Yeah, that that could be that could be it as well, and that's what I love about uh, you know this movie in particular is um, it's it's open to your interpretation of it, and it, it's pretty funny. Recently, um, Tarantino gave an interview where he talked about the Gimp and the history of the Gimp. Oh, right. Um, it was in I believe um, uh, it was quoted in Esquire, and according to Tarantino, the Gimp was a hitchhiker who fell victim to Maynard and his brother. His main intention was to have um, it established that the gimp died um, at the end, but um, most people didn't pick up on that. But yeah, when you see Butch knock the gimp out, you know the gimp obviously 
you know, comes out from under his feet and is, is basically hanging himself. That's another detail that I wasn't aware of. Even though I have seen the film a couple times, um, I thought he was just uh, knocked unconscious by, by Butch. Butch was a, a very tough boxer. Yes. So he had killed his opponent in the ring, which he was supposed to, against whom he was supposed to lose. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You, can see, you can see he had a lot of punching power, but uh, well... That's very yeah. interesting. And, and Maynard and Seth are brothers. I, I didn't get that detail either. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's those, it's those little things. Um, and, you know, you know, t talking about how this, you know, the scene sort of culminates, I really like the moment where Butch is upstairs and he's about to leave. And as much as he doesn't like Marcellus, he doesn't care for the man at all. You know, he's got that little moment of human compassion where he says, I can't leave him down there facing whatever yes. he's facing. And this is another moment where you've got, you know, a really serious moment in the film. But then it's, you know, sort of um, tempered by some humor where Butch is looking for a weapon to use. And he grabs a baseball bat. He grabs a chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then finally he gets the samurai sword, which is kind of funny because, you know, Tarantino would, you know, feature the samurai sword prominently uh you know, almost 10 years later in Kill Bill. Yeah, absolutely. It's a first scene of Kill Bill. <laughs> I was also very, very much into that part of, this, of the whole sequence because you think, well, Butch is getting away and, and that's it. But he, he cannot leave Marcelo, Marcellus behind after, after everything that, that they have been through, even though they're enemies now. I mean, do you, do, you get, do you get to think that they have worked together at some point? They have agreed on, on things at some point, even though Butch actually betrayed Marcellus. But he's not going to leave the man being raped over and over again by, by these uh, psychos. So that was, that was great that he came back and you're kind of rooting for him to do that because that's, you cannot leave Marcellus behind. It's, it's just not possible. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just talking a little bit about the pawn shop in general, um, I referenced it on my discussion with David Rosen, um, how the pawn shop, it took place in, in two locations. There was a practical location that, uh, in uh, Canoga Park was the crown pawn shop, but the whole back room and basement um, portion of, this, of the film or of the scene was on a, a soundstage. And uh, one thing I learned is, you know, there's no basements in L.A., so uh, they couldn't have filmed that practically. Oh, well, see, something else I didn't know about. I have to admit, I've never been to the U.S. That's on my bucket list. <laughs> All right. Yeah, hopefully you make it here sometime. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, California is definitely a, a cool state to check out. Absolutely. Well, I, I dream of running the Rocky Steps in Philadelphia. Oh, right. And that, that's the other side of the <laughs> of the country. But then I, I, I will definitely check uh, California. Definitely. Excellent. So um, rounding back to the music a little bit, I always, you know, try and work in a, a question from the from the movie. And, and I, you might remember at the scene where Vincent and Mia pull up to Jackrabbit Slim's, she says an Elvis guy will love it. If you're not aware, there's a deleted scene when Vincent picks up Mia. She sort of comes out with a camera and gives him a little bit of an interview. And that's where we learn that Vincent obviously is an Elvis guy. But her, her main question is, you know, there's two types of people in the world, uh, Beatles guys and Elvis guys. Um, and you can like the Beatles um, and like Elvis and like Elvis and like the Beatles. But at the end of the day, 
you like one more. So, uh, Henry, which is it? Are you a Beatles guy or an Elvis guy? Absolutely Beatles. Beatles, Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling when we talked about yeah. sort of your musical history, but uh, right on, right it's on. It's a funny thing. I didn't know about this scene, so I'm learning a lot about the film with you. That's awesome. That, that a film Excellent. You can watch a film several times, and there are so many layers to it. And then when you when the deleted scenes play into it, it's a lot more interesting. And uh, okay, yeah, I, I noticed when she said uh, Elvis guy, it's like, well, okay, you can interpret that they talked about it in the car on the right there, that Vincent was into Elvis. I have heard this thing with uh, being Beatles guy or Rolling Stones guy, not, yes. not with uh, Elvis. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that, you know, sort of debate too, you know, well, it's funny, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones are sort of like two sides of the same coin, right? You know, the Beatles are kind of the, you know, the, for lack of a better word, the safe, you know, kind of clean version. Yeah. And then you got the dirty, you know, kind of little rougher Rolling Stones version. And they're both great. Absolutely. So Henry, as we wrap this up, is there any kind of final thought you have on, on Pulp Fiction and, and, you know, what it means to you and, and just any overall thoughts about the movie? Well, the thing is, uh, this film was indeed groundbreaking to me. And I had seen some crazy stuff before because I, I was into David Lynch. And uh, I had seen Blue Velvet, I had seen Wild at Heart, right. which also has a lot of gratuitous violence uh, depicted in a not funny but bizarre kind of way. Yeah. But it was this was something new. So it really caught me and I knew that I was going to be a fan of this director, of this uh, screenwriter. And it was because of how many layers, like I said before, Pulp Fiction has. Because it, it, the violence is only an element of the whole story. I mean, it can, piece the, the, it can bring the pieces of the story together because they are, all these characters are linked by violent, violent events. But there's a lot more to it. There is a story of war with Butch's father. There's a, there are stories of um, crime and betrayal. And there are stories about uh, friendships and relationships. And it, it's a lot of things combined in such a brilliant way that you can actually watch it and you don't feel like it's been over two hours. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of my biggest takeaways from that movie, Henry, is when we sat down to watch it again, you know, which is kind of what prompted me to do this podcast was, you know, I, I knew it was almost, you know, two and a half hours long. But, um, you know, there's certain two and a half hour movies that come out today that, you know, you really feel that two and a half hours. And again, this one, you don't really feel it. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. And I will say that, surprisingly, Tarantino's most recent film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kind of felt that way to me as well. How, how did it feel? Like like it didn't last that long? Exactly. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's brilliant. I haven't seen The Hateful Eight, the hateful eight yet, I admit, because I'm not very much into Westerns, and he got a sort of Western vibe, first with Shang Unchained, yeah. which I, I liked, but it wasn't really my cup of tea. I, I thought Inglourious Bastards were, was much uh, interesting, most, much more appealing to me. But there is something that I saw in Pulp Fiction that I have ex expected to see in every Tarantino film since then, and the guy has always delivered. And it's not the violent, but it's the quality of the dialogues. Right. And that, that's, the I think, the point I want to highlight the most, apart from the music and the use of music, 
the dialogues because they are highly unusual and they're memorable. That is something that Quentin Tarantino has always delivered. And uh, it's memorable because if you go to see the action, only action, then you're going to be disappointed. And if you're going with the intention to see an actual art film, that's then you are closer to getting what you want. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we forget as we get further and further away from Pulp Fiction being released. But you make an excellent point in terms of the dialogue in the sense that it had a realism to it that we weren't really hearing a lot of the time. Um, you know, certain movies you watch and you can sort of see the words written on the page. And, you know, Pulp Fiction had a naturalness about it. And, you know, the fact that they talked about inconsequential things like what they call um, yes. a quarter pounder um, in Amsterdam. Yeah, and so, the, uh, the mayonnaise for the fries. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I can tell you it's true. We do that in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that is a very good point, Henry, because again, um, films kind of opened up after Pulp Fiction came out and the dialogue started to get a, a, a little bit looser. So uh, excellent, excellent. Well, this has been a really, really, you know, fun conversation, Henry. I... I'm so happy to sit down with other fans of the movie and sort of get their history of the movie and, you know, what they like about it. And sometimes hope maybe we'll go down the road of what people dislike. But for now, we're just celebrating the film. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look very much forward to listening to the other episodes you're producing to, to hear what other people have has to say about it. Excellent. So, Henry, thanks again. And um, everybody can go listen to Henry's podcast, Henry talks about. And again, I will include links in the show notes. All right, Henry, thank you again. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me and uh, greetings to all your audience. All right, excellent. And we'll talk next time.